When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's another film study. We're going to look back at this uh, game this past weekend, another ho-hum win for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, This is the offensive episode, and there's a whole lot of complaining going on on Twitter and online and on the radio right now about the offense, so it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I am doing good. I uh, flew to, told you guys I was flying to Indianapolis. Maybe I said it after the show, but flew to Indianapolis. Learned today that it doesn't matter if there's a coronavirus going on. They will still cram as many people as possible on an airplane. <laughs> what, what about the empty middle seats? Aren't you on a, on a Southwest route? That's what I expected. I flew American. Oh, big mistake. And, uh, well, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> it's what they gave me. But uh, I flew two flights because I had a layover, and they were the fullest flights I've been in in many years. Mm-hmm. I flew Spirit to Baltimore a f- month ago and had three, four rows to myself. So I recommend Spirit. And still had no leg room because it was Spirit. You should have seen my leg room in American today. <laughs> Spirit was better. Now, Josh, Josh is 6'4". I'm also tall but not as tall, and I demand the, the lengthy leg room when I fly over three hours. 
Mail your luggage on Spirit. Right. If you've got multiple yes. people with you, yes. send it in the mail. I well, that's the key. I don't. I never check luggage unless I'm gone for like two weeks. No, in Spirit, you can't. Even if you check the luggage, you take it on board. You pay a fifty dollar fee. Right. So it's 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 an absurd a la carte airline. Here's I use Spirit for weekends when I just take a backpack. Okay, that's what I, that's that's where Spirit's great for me. And flights under two hours. Yep. Because I will say, Spirit did downgrade the seats to like these metal, like military seats. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. Like I think they had, had something, and it was just like stainless steel seats when I flew right. Spirit. I've never seen that before. Are you sure you didn't take a hop? Were you like in the back of like a, a C one thirty or something? No, I, I. It's something that they did. It's how Spirit adjusted to COVID, mm. and it's these metal seats and little short trays that they can just spray down. Okay, so there's actually so, a reason for it. It's there's still, a reason for it. Still it still is not comfortable, but yeah. Oh, it's it's worse than Spirit used to be, but it, they've got a reason. Meanwhile, American is exactly the same as it's always been, and they don't care. But let's talk football. So we got Michael Crawford. We didn't even introduce him, uh, and he's already and he's, talking. No, he's already jumping in, which means it's going to be a fun long episode. So it doesn't matter whether the Ravens defense looks good or not. We're going to talk about it. So Michael, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing well, as you can probably hear. I'm, you know, right in uh, mid-season form already on the podcast. So uh, it's good to join you guys again. And hey, we got a four-on-one team to talk about here. So uh, let's. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in that frame of mind. All right. Well, how how did you go into this game? Like, what were your expectations going in after the Chiefs and the uh, Washington Football Team? And then, what were, how were you set up and ready for the Bengals? Well, I always work myself up into this frenzy, no matter who they play, where I find all these ways that they can lose. And my wife always says I'm not a real fan because that's all I do is find ways that teams are going to beat them. But in my heart of hearts, I really expected them to blow the Bengals out. And that's what they did. So uh, they met my expectations, exceeded them in a lot of ways on defense. We have a lot of military listeners. And what you're stance is towards a game is mine as well it's called being a helicopter pilot not too much different from being a helicopter parent but helicopter pilots try and figure out what's going to go wrong not figure out how can they you know make things right or go on the fly because they, they need to figure out beforehand a lot of times and obviously dangerous profession there but that's that's what you're doing you're you're planning ahead for what go wrong and I'm, i feel the same way i and, until they start go up by two scores i'm not really comfortable ever I'm the same. I'm the same. So that happened relatively early in the, in the Bengals game. So I, I got I got comfortable uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and it was just one of those games where when you go in and, and you know, there's obviously a difference between uh, talking about what you see on paper. right? You can look at statistics and you look at how teams are playing coming in. But it's a division game, number one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes what you've done before isn't as relevant. Uh, when when division uh, opponents get together. And then you, you just, to your point, you just don't know until they kick the ball off, right? You can have this great game plan. You can you can appear to be the more dominant team in, in, in all these different ways. But until you kick that ball off and they start playing, you just don't really know. But then once they did kick the ball off, the dominant team looked like the dominant team, especially on defense. And, and especially for the first half uh, in particular when they really uh, laid it to them pretty good. Uh, Let's talk to the elephant in the room right away. Or is there anything you're really concerned about with Lamar at this point? I'm I'm not. And I was trying to think about 
another word to use that could express uh, maybe worrying about a, a couple of things, but I, I felt like concern was too strong because I think when I watch, uh, what I see is, here's what I do. Here's what I do. I try to compartmentalize it, right? I try not to to form opinions that cross games. I look at a game and I say, this is how he played in this game. Here are the individual plays in this game that were either good plays or not so good plays. Mm-hmm. And then I try to just you know keep it in that box. And then going on to the next game, what I might do is say, well, for the plays that were in that not so good category, here are the things I would like to see that would show me that there's some improvement taking place. If I see those things and I'll, I'll feel a little better about those things, but I try to isolate it to individual games. So it's hard to get, it's hard to have like an overarching concern when you okay. do that. All right. Well, are other words, maybe anxiety, worry, disquiet, apprehension, unease, perturbation, consternation, distress, or agitation? Would any of those work? <laughs> There's a lot in there. Uh, probably, probably could find one or two in there that would work. But I also try to keep the perspective. And I know I'm not the first person to say it. You're here, you're, you hear it from announcers. You hear it from the, the coaching staff and other people. Hey, this is this was basically like what their their fourth preseason game or whatever whatever everybody's saying. Uh, but you you look back at the the off season, uh, the shortened off season, and I would they have like 17 practices, padded practices, something like that. Um, so you look at, at how condensed that was compared to a normal off season. And and what I'm about to say, this is no knock on Lamar. People might take it this way, but I remember Willie Sneed saying this about him in 2018. He he's the more he's able to practice, the more reps he's able to get, the better he gets. He's like, look, he he picks things up extremely fast, but he needs those reps. So I kind of look at all of that and say he, along with everybody else, I mean, he's in the same boat. This isn't unique to him. Him, along with everybody else, hasn't had that same number of repetitions and practices that they normally would going into a season. Does it affect him more as a quarterback? Maybe. I don't know. But I try to keep that perspective in mind. I, I'm I'm looking at the various things, and there are there are some very good components of Lamar's play that I think are subject to not being concerning. And one of them is that he's still getting over three seconds time to throw, not from his offensive line, but from his own legs and his ability to move the pocket, move around, and try and create a throw. Unfortunately, a lot in the Cincinnati game was trying to move around behind the line of scrimmage, trying to find a place where he could safely throw the ball away. You know, uh, avoiding the official on that one play, you know, <laughs> running away to the sideline so he can finally get the arm strength ready, you know, the, the, the angle ready to, to hit it to the sideline. Uh, it, it, it's not like he had zero throws with his legs in this game, but it wasn't many. And I guess the the more concerning thing is the inaccuracy. And why don't we come back to Lamar a little later? Because I've got, I've got a little more drill down detail there that I want to get to. But uh, I I probably am a little concerned at this point, And yet. You know, we've got a quarterback who's got nine touchdowns and two interceptions. Sign that, sign me up for any multiple of that for the whole season. You know, we got a quarterback with a rating of over a hundred. Uh, you know, I really have to ask myself if that's high enough for Lamar now, today, after what we know about his 2019 season. But if you'd ask me at the end of 2018, I signed up for it. I, I guarantee you that. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, we are where we are. Uh, let's talk offensive line. For a little bit. I want to go through and kind of drop down into the grading a little bit, and we can talk individually about the players as we as we kind of rip through this. So I'll toss out my grading first, and you will talk about anything you saw, whatever you like after that, Michael. Okay. So we'll start start with Ronnie Stanley. Um, he played the entire game. 
actually missed, I think, the last kneel down snap. I noticed that, that he had one snap less, but it wasn't during the regular game, so it had to be the kneel down. Missed four blocks, one quarterback hit, half a sack that I had him share with Brown on the other side, and uh, worked out to be a B after adjustment right in the middle of the range, so it's not a low B or anything. Six blocks in level two, and, you know, there's two things about Ronnie that came from this game. One is that he does not seem to be hampered in terms of his ability to get downfield. And particularly in the Duvernay play, he was way downfield, made a very late, possibly in the back block on Lawson that was highly ill-advised, by the way. You know, it was one of these ones where you're knocking down a bunch of bowling pins. You don't know what might go wrong. And we had players in that, in that you know, 10-pin array there that might have been knocked down. Um, and the other is that he did not seem to be setting squarely in pass blocking, despite the fact it didn't all go wrong. Didn't all go to hell. I'm in this game, but it, it concerns me a little bit. Maybe the shoulder is still not right. Yeah, it could possibly be that shoulder. Um, I don't know. You you might know. I, I don't know what the specific shoulder injury was. It was AC joint or you know something like that. Um, and and obviously you know in a week's time it's not it's not going to be fully healed. Um, so it could certainly be a factor. Um, the other thing that crossed my mind, and I guess we'll see. If, if there's anything to this theory or not, is a matchup with a guy like Lawson, who's a really explosive guy uh, coming off the edge. I mean, he, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize him as like a really super sort of bendy, you know, type, type of edge rusher, even though I think he can turn the quarter pretty well, but just a guy who really gets off the ball, who's got good burst. He can do speed to power. Um, he can kind of work an inside move. So I wonder sometimes when you get a guy like that, if you're like, man, I got to really get out here. Uh, Cause this guy, is really coming. Uh, and, and and so I wonder if maybe that was a little bit of it, but uh, I guess we'll have to see him against another, you know, edge rusher in that, that similar style um, to see if, if, if we continue to see that same sort of thing. Uh, won't prove anything for sure because it could still be the shoulder, but it gives you something to think about. In 2019, Ronnie obviously had, had his best year, but he, but he also faced a lot of, a lot of different you know, edge rushers, obviously in a full season of work. And didn't didn't allow any significant pressures to, to any of the meaning meaning it didn't allow quarterback hits and sacks to any great degree. So the, the point I'm making here is that he he's always been good about sacrificing ground in the pocket to not allow quarterback hits and sacks, which means I think he gives up a lot of pressures between two and a half th- and three seconds because my number differs tremendously from PFF from last year. And so I, I think that's a good thing for a quarterback like Mar, who has proved extremely adept at moving around in the pocket, moving up, moving right in the pocket, which is the natural direction you want to move anyway. In some cases, spinning, pirouetting, and moving left past the, past the pass rusher. Anyway, what I'm concerned about is that if he doesn't have the squareness to deal with that in terms of the strength in both arms, he has to favor one, maybe favor one with his feet, that we somehow are seeing a different Ronnie Stanley. I just – I. You know, we'll wait another game. It's not like this was a bad game. Middle of the B range, that's fine. You know, if he did that every week, I'd be perfectly happy. But uh, but it just it, it did not seem like everything was right to me in this game. No, and it's kind of a it's kind of a, a microcosm of what we were talking about earlier. The standards were set so high, yes. so many guys in 2019. Anything that falls below that, it it makes you concerned a little bit. And all all those other words that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to use a thesaurus. I didn't come up with those, personally, oh. but you you probably knew that. Uh, six blocks in level two for Ronnie Stanley. He made two of his three pulls, and actually, he really probably made zero of his three pulls or maybe touch one on a third, but uh, they were all three of those counter. 
place. Uh, really pretty cool to see that all in one game. And I know you've done some work with Counter and had that good presentation uh, at the analytics event last uh, summer. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it brought it brought back it brought back good memories. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Counter plays. Uh, let me move on. Bozeman uh, had a, had a couple of not at the top of his game weeks in a row after having a lot of consecutive Bs as I graded. It just been remarkably consistent, but he got back to the B level again in this game. Uh, seven missed blocks was a little bit high. Uh, he gave up two pressures in this game, so that were those were his only negative events for the game. Ten of thirteen on pulls. That is a day of work, and in only sixty-one snaps, uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, when uh, you're in a, Gro- a Greg Roman uh, offense, uh, particularly in the run game, you're going to see a lot of power. And uh, as you've mentioned before, the Ravens are, are sort of a right-hand dominant run team. So you're going to see a lot of your left guard pulling to the right side. And uh, we saw a lot of that against the Bengals. And to hear that he connected on 10 and 13 of those is really impressive. Um, not surprised to hear that that maybe he 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 struggled in the miss block category a little bit because there's some good interior guys there. I mean, DJ mm-hmm. Reader, uh, Christian Covington is no slouch, and then uh, Geno Atkins. I didn't chart it. It seemed like he he played more pass snaps than run yes. snaps, uh, maybe exclusively pass snaps. I don't I don't know to be uh, I don't know exactly, but obviously we know what he's capable of. So that that's that's a tough day's work. Uh, uh, in the interior of the O-line. So uh, credit to to Bozeman for playing uh, as well as he did against against that group. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think he did play exclusively pass steps. I see the total is only 19. So that really tells you he was probably in, you know, in a really specific sub package that they wanted to try and minimize his usage. Uh, anyway, I, th- I think we're at a point right now where Bozeman can really, is right there with the claim for the most consistent Ravens lineman. Stanley's been hurt once, so that, that he, he maybe can't get it. Brown's been up and down a little bit, but he played great at left tackle. And in, at right tackle, he's been all over the board in terms of his grades, but generally okay. Um, you know, Bozeman is the guy who's been fairly consistent through all of this for about the – now just about the last year because it was week six of 2019 was really his last bad game. So week seven and on, he's uh, he's been pretty – uh, he hasn't had a really fall off the table game anyway during the regular season. No, and in 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 this election season, I would approve that message. <laughs> all right, good job. We we we'd like to allow all the people who want to pay for election advertising out there to know that we're happy to approve such messages or or do readers for your. Uh, well, probably not do readers for your candidate. Let's move on. Uh, we'll go to Matt Skura. Um, Matt Skura now has put together four consecutive really good grades and. I score the game, and then I, I, I decided I wanted to look at the PFF grade and see what it was like. They did not score him nearly as well in pass blocking, where I only had him for one pressure. I suspect what that is, if you've got the, the, the PFF subscription, I'm not going to tell you what the grade is, but I suspect it is uh, inaccurate shotgun snaps that they've graded him down for. And they put that in the pass blocking. That's come up specifically for Skura before, because obviously no other line position really has that come up. But uh, that will be the case. I've got a question in to see if that uh, if that might be it. And hopefully they'll they'll give me the answer on that. But uh, good game for Skura. Uh, bottom end of the A range, uh, three blocks in level two. The, the block that really set Skura aside, and the one that belongs on his show your grandchildren tape, is the one on Duvernay's initial play. Wonderful kind of leisurely sneak opposite the pull to get out into the in, in onto the 
left side, the left seam, we'll call it, and then made a great block of Lawson, who actually was pretty quick to figure out what was going on and seal him to the inside just long enough. And it was probably you know, a couple seconds before Lawson could get off him, get off him. And then he was way too late to catch Duvernay down the sideline. Yeah, I, I know that he's still recovering. Obviously, we, we know about the the injury he had last year, a very significant knee injury. But one of the things that I look for, and I mean, I guess you could look for a number of things to see kind of how a guy is re, is recovering now that he's back in game situations and, and, you know, how he's holding up. You could look at how he anchors, you know, against Bull Rush. That's one thing to look at. I like to look at how he moves on those kinds of plays. So like the one that you just mentioned, and then um, – I started against my, my my better judgment. I started charting the run game again this weekend. <laughs> and so I actually charted the Bengals game. I know, I know. It's it's a tisk tisk situation. Um, what, what does your wife have to say about that? I mean, do you need to have another conversation with her? Oh, stay listen, healthy. Do the show. Listen. Live listen, your life. Listen, she doesn't know that this has happened. Let's just keep right. this between the three of us and the millions of listeners out there. There you go. Please don't <laughs> tell her about this. But anyway. Um, so I don't have the specific number in front of me because I don't have the sheet up, but they ran some outside zone like they do in every every game pretty much. But mm-hmm. I think they, they they ran, you know, a fair amount of it um, in this particular game. And so that that centers block um, on outside zone, having to get up to level two if he can, you know, if he's not covered, if he's uncovered and to try to cut off a linebacker. Right. That angle that you have to take, it's almost like a 45 degree angle. Sometimes it's it's probably a sharper angle. And you have to go to where you think he's going to be, not where he's at, right. to cut him off, uh, to either seal him or just keep running him by so the running back can kind of cut off you. That's a tough block to make for any center, uh, particularly one who maybe doesn't have his full mobility back. And I think he was able to pull off some of those. I won't say that it was it was perfect on in, in every one of those situations, but there's progress there, in my opinion. So I was I was happy to see that. Yeah, I'd have to. I do not have it right in front of me in terms of the four missed blocks to look it up. I actually do have it, but it would take me a moment to see whether they were L2NB or they were losses at the line of scrimmage. But that's always a concern I have. So I'll be looking at that uh, when it happened. It definitely wasn't all that. He was pancaked. He was pancaked in level two. Anyway, that's enough for right now. So anyway, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll address that in the article. He did make one of one pulls. He made one to the right, and 14 of 18 pulls overall were to the right in this game, as you mentioned earlier with the Three counters. They only had one pull from right to left, and that was one by McCary. And I, I'm not even 100% sure that wasn't right to further right, now that I think about it. They go swing outside Brown. I think he went right to left. I think it was yeah. right to left. I think that one I, I do think I remember, even though I said I don't have the sheet up on me. It just stood out because it was the only one. Right. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, anyway, Patrick McCary, and again, and he split the right guard time, of course, with with Powers. A lot of people want to see Powers. A lot of people want to see McCary. Since we've seen more of McCary, I think more people want to see more of Powers. But McCary probably played a little bit better and still not good in this game. Uh, 45 plays, uh, made 35 of his blocks. Seven missed is a lot for only 45 plays. And there are definitely signs that their arm length continues to be a concern with McCary. Uh, definitely is getting shed, hitting the ground more. Um, and, and they did some stunting to the inside with Carlos Dunlap specifically, I think to take advantage of arm length differential. That was, uh, you know, very apparent, frankly, in what they were doing. They were twisting the outside there. By the way, I, I don't know if you saw this going to the game. I now am really concerned about having to face Logan Wilson for the next decade here. He looks fantastic. 
he he was the best Cincinnati player on the field uh, the whole day. But crashing on you know under after under play on those on those stunts. Obviously, he you know had his hands on the football and, and held it once actually, and another time he dropped it. And you know, I mean, just really seems to know what he's doing. But the to, to have a inside linebacker who can be the under guy so effectively on stunts is remarkable. Yeah, uh, one of my draft crushes, um, Matt Wise at Matt Wise, the Matt Wise on Twitter was was he was an, a guy who was also a big fan of Logan Wilson. Not always easy to get your hands on that Wyoming film, uh, but we were able to get a couple of games. And uh, man, just watching him play, then we were like, this guy could really be something uh, in the NFL. And 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 the word kind of got out on him. We certainly weren't the only people just in terms of draft Twitter. Obviously, the NFL knew about him. But in terms of draft Twitter, there were a bunch of other people that kind of hopped on his bandwagon. Yeah, he he played a heck of a game. Um, I'll, I'll just comment on Makari real quick. Um, I don't know if it rose to this level, but I know you've done this in, in, in some of your articles uh, before. Those seven missed blocks, does it rise to the level where you're going to indicate the time stamps on them. I know sometimes with certain guys, you said, what am I doing it for you? Uh, well, I mean, you the answer, the answer is, answer is the system has to be transparent to be meaningful. So if anyone ever wants to know where I downgraded people, I'll tell you. Okay. You show me also that you're doing the work is my, is my, my other component of that. Now you, I don't really have a concern about that. In fact, I have a concern. You do too much work to overanalyze what I've already got. I'd, I'd be concerned from your wife's perspective that, that uh, you know, this would not be a good thing for your health. But, but in, in the case of other people, I, I want to know that you're going to actually use the information I give you to go and, and respond to it. But a system without transparency is garbage. Yeah. There's two two reasons why you can get it get in somebody's on somebody's case about their lousy system. One is you take the time to completely understand it from the ground up, and if you do, if you do that, then you have the right to criticize their system. Number two is if they're non-transparent with you, then you have the right to do it right off the bat. And uh, you know it, it, those questions about transparency, it's legitimate to come up, and no matter what they throw at you, like, oh, I'm trying to sell it, or I'm doing this, or whatever. I mean, it's usually garbage. So. Yeah. I only asked because seven, that seven number, I saw it in the in the, the show outline. I was like, that is a lot of misplots. So I was like, maybe maybe those might rise to the level of getting specifically called out by timestamp because that's well, maybe it's not a lot. I mean, you, you've been doing this for years. So maybe it's not a lot, but it's, it, felt it's, like, it felt like a lot. To me. It happens. I mean, uh, you know, Bozeman also had seven in this game. He just happened to have 61 snaps and not 45. Um, so, but, but I've seen over 10 in a game, uh, 10 is a, is a, is a exclamation point, mm-hmm. kind of a number, uh, you know, when nine happens, it's, it's certainly noteworthy. And then I really need to break it down and see, is he getting into level two and not finding a block? Cause that's not that serious. In Bozeman's cases, he had 13 poles and three of them, he wasn't able to find a block mm-hmm. and that might be okay. But in Actually, one of them he I know was not that case. <laughs> so, so it's uh, you know losses at the line of scrimmage where he's really getting beat by the opposing defender. Those are the ones that are very serious. And I I usually de- de- define them in the article, but for this week I'm just going to put all the misses there since you asked. Well, thank you, thank you. I mean, I, I, I that that service you can't beat that kind of service, right? You <laughs> ask and then you shall receive. You're the man. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, so my oh. By the way, McCarry's overall score was a D. He did have two pressures allowed, and I gave him a sixth of a quarterback hit in this game. So there's a free runner, and then he and Brown each got a, a sixth of it because I thought they each deserved about a third for letting the phone booth getting pocket uh, the phone the pocket getting phone boothed together. All right, so D for him. 
And we move on. We've got uh, Orlando Brown. Uh, he had three missed box, which is real good for a right tackle, by the way. That's hard to do. Um, uh, he had a two pressures, another sixth of a quarterback hit, and half a sack. So his total worked out to be a B minus with adjustment. I might have been stingy on the adjustment with him. I don't think Carlos Dunlap really is the player he once was, obviously. But now that I think about how they attacked him, it was a lot of stunt traffic, and that's a lot harder to handle. Uh, particularly when a lot of it was Logan Wilson, you know, going right into the midsection, right between the, uh, right in the wedge between him and uh, McCary, and that obviously is difficult to handle if if you don't really have good trust and good technique, good rapport with your partner next to you. Yeah, I was going to make the same point about Dunlap. I mean, when when he was in his prime, his hell um, player. Yeah, that that guy was a heck of a player, and 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 I'm not saying he's completely washed up at this point, but he's not the same guy that he was. And that's an excellent point um, about the stunts and about how that could affect um, Brown Jr. So not only are you uh, working with Makari, who maybe you don't have quite the same rapport with as you did, obviously with Marshall Yonda, but now they're they're switching guys in the middle of the game in different series. So now you've got to adjust, you know, in game. Um, I guess I have a question about that too for you, but we can save that when we get to powers. But yeah, good, good, good job. Uh, I think by Orlando Brown overall, even against you know Dunlap for you know whatever he is at this point. And, uh, you know, Sam Hubbard, Sam Hubbard's a, a, a good young player, um, not obviously on the level that that prime Carlos Dunlop was. And then uh, I'll tell you one one guy I think that uh, Sam Hubbard does not like to see is Nick Boyle, uh, <laughs> because when he's banging down on those down blocks and climbing up to the next level, he will put Sam Hubbard or, or whoever that DN is really. But it seems to Sam Hubbard seems to be on the receiving end of a lot of them. He'll just put them into a different zip code. I mean, right. it's like completely across the formation. Right. It's, it's uh, that's one of the problems with playing a four man front like they do, as opposed to a five is as a defensive end, he really gets it as opposed to being a defensive tackle. And it, it probably makes it a little bit easier for the Ravens to hit one of the two gaps to either side of him, because it's probably a slightly more advantageous block than, than you know, trying to move that defensive tackle is used to absorbing double teams. Not, not everyone is good at it, but, but you know, they're used to, Used to doing it more. All right, let's move on here. Uh, so we, everybody wanted to hear about power. 16 plays only. I think he had 18 snaps in the game book, but two of them didn't count. One of them was probably the kneel down. Another was probably a penalty. But 16 plays. He made 14 blocks, and I thought he looked really good on the blocks he made. But he did allow a pressure, and that was all his. It wasn't anybody else's. And he had two penalties. One penalty was an illegal downfield um, player, which – I did not charge him for. And the reason was it was a designed run with Lamar. Ball was in his left hand, run, runner's stance and whatnot. And then he realized he was caught when he got outside the pocket and he decided to throw the ball away as an ad lib. And of course, he had, he had blockers downfield at that point. And, and I mean, honestly, Powers wasn't even the only one. So there was an offsetting penalty that actually overstruck, mm. or whatever the correct word is, the over offset, the. Uh, the, the powers IDP was the, who was it? Dunlap had a, some sort of unnecessary roughness power, mm-hmm. personal foul. And, uh, and so it did, it went away anyway, but uh, normally I would charge him for that penalty, even if it was declined, but I didn't in this case, the offensive hold. I didn't, I did charge him for, I thought it was kind of ticky tack by 2020 standards. You too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. When you looked at it, especially on the replay, um, just, I mean, you could break it down in kind of different components, but just like looking at his hands I mean, he's got his hands inside, right? Mm-hmm. 
And of course, he's grabbing cloth because that's what you do. That's what you're yep. told to do. And the referees will even tell you if you've yep. got your hands inside and you've got a hold of some cloth, that's not a hold. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was the, you know, sort of taking him to the ground. Because, you know, Bynes was kind of right. twisting and moving from side to side, really kind of selling it. I mean, good, you know, bravo yes. for Josh Bynes. <laughs> <laughs> Veteran savvy. Uh, so I, I I had a hard time kind of understanding that one, too. But I, I could see I could see how they could get there on that call. But I, I didn't I didn't really like it. I, I think it's the application of torque that they, they're, they're, they're uh, flagging for. And it, you're right that I think Bynes did sell it on that play, no doubt about it. But, but also that Ravens linemen tend to get very good very fast in learning how to not hold when that happens. We've, we've seen terrific results. I mean, Ryan Jensen, 2017, had three holds in the first game and none the rest of the season. Uh, we had two from Stanley in week one last year, none the rest of the season. We had, I believe, two from Orlando Brown in week two, none the rest of the season. And, you know, so it was, it's just constantly, we, McCarry, his first game was against the Rams. He had two in that game and he might've had one more the rest of the season, but he, but he basically got up, got most of his bad play out of the, out of the way right away. So I'm not really concerned about powers. I hope he doesn't lose playing time over what happened here because I thought he actually looked very good in terms of what you know the, the overall quality of his run blocks which i don't try and make a discrimination for you know I, i'm i want a gross level system that'll basically give me that but i don't want to like a nine level grading nine point grading system of the individual block and i just don't want to get into that so anyway he's he, i thought he played pretty well but the, but the score does not reflect it after the holding call he does not get a grade on this game because he only only 16 blocks but his uh, score was only 0.38 per play when you take up those uh those two big the, the pressure and the and the holding so those events are what 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 brought the score to, and and the fact that it was such a small sample size. Yes. It's kind of, okay. Okay. Because I like you. I mean, just the eye test. I'm I'm obviously not scoring it, but just the eye test. I actually thought he played really well, which is what you said. You you, mm-hmm. you said you thought he played well too. Um, one thing that really stood out to me, I I guess I noticed it more on pass plays than run plays. I'm not comparing him to Marshall Yonda. Let's just get that out of the mm-hmm. way right now, in no shape, form, or fashion. But his feet. Those short, quick, choppy steps in pass pro where you're able to maintain as much contact with the ground as possible. Obviously, you're moving, so you're going to lose some contact with the ground uh, briefly. But that sort of lawnmower typewriter action that allows you to kind of stay square and move laterally for, you know, to either side uh, to react you know, to what you're getting. From, that was impressive um, because you can watch Lyman on the Ravens. You could look at Phillips. You can look at other people and, you know, the steps are bigger. They're more elongated. Uh, they're more deliberate. That was really impressive to me. And and I guess, was it the week 17 game last year? The Powers played a lot. Yes. Didn't see that last year. So there's definitely been some improvement in that one specific sort of small, you know, technique kind of thing. Um, but here's a question I really wanted to ask you. I said this to a couple other people and they, they really didn't comment on it. Or, so maybe I thought I was making too big of a deal. If I'm Cincinnati, particularly their their, their defensive coordinator, defensive mm-hmm. line coach, this is super disrespectful that you are rotating guards in an actual NFL game, a division game. You're treated like it's a preseason competition. <laughs> I mean, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who had everything to win in Week 17, at least when the game started. The game went on. You know, Tennessee had won their game, and they were out of the playoffs. But when the game started, they had, they had a real chance to make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Ravens did that same thing to them. They, they, they rotated and they, you know, it, it's not that uncommon. It's just uncommon for the Ravens to, to, to be alternating uh, 
time, but they've done it a little bit over the years anyway. It is what it is. But uh, let's uh, let's keep moving on. Bredesen was in for one one snap as a sixth lineman made his block this week. Uh, so that's that for the offensive line. Uh, let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. I I, I promised you some more specific me- uh, metrics that hopefully start the conversation. But 3.07 seconds to throw, which is excellent. That means he's extending the pocket. Those averages are subject to extreme numbers. So if there was a single eight-second play in there, that would have a significant impact even over 30 snaps. Obviously, you know, eight thirtieths would, you know, be responsible to, to, to each of that. I, I, or maybe eight five thirtieths. But anyway, you could see how that would, it would increase it pretty substantially. I don't think it was really that. I think he had a lot of three and a half and 3.75s, but I don't think he had too many that were, that were over five seconds. And the only one I'm thinking about is the one where he's running around and avoiding the referee was a uh, uh, little bit. So anyway, uh, 5.0 completed air yards. He was to 10 last week, which was the best in the NFL or second best. This week, he was the eighth worst in the league in terms of completed air yards. Obviously, that's not what we want to see. It wasn't a matter of throwing all short passes. He was actually right in the middle of the pack, 8.9 intended air yards. It was a matter of not hitting on any really of those deep passes or not hitting on many of those deep passes. Yeah, I blamed it on the rain. Right. Do we go back to 2018 and weather <laughs> weather was the only thing that seemed to slow him down? No, but 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 seriously, um, it was interesting to me because I know I said I try to compartmentalize these things and not have them cross games. And I do. But this one thing has been hard for me to really do that with because it's so counter to what he's shown throughout his short career. You hear the coaches say it all the time, and it shows up on film. He sees the field really well, right, as a passer. And their throws in that game, their throws in the previous games that you would expect him to see and attempt. But he's not seeing them, and he's not attempting them. But some of these are deep throws, not all of them, um, but some of these are deep throws. And they're just – some of them are slants, right? Um, you You can look at Okay, uh, let me let me treat you as a hostile witness now for a okay, moment okay. and and ask you where are those slants primarily and to what player? To what player are they? Uh probably Miles Boykin. Okay. Would, and and on what side of the field is Miles Boykin normally? Uh, probably on the left. Okay. Mr. <laughs> Corbett, I would like you to answer the questions without a probably. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I think the problem may be that he's looking at a a uh, substantial wedge of the field, but the Ravens are actually re-gearing their offense this year to try and get him to see the whole field. I don't say like an easy eye puzzle because that's too simplified, but to be able to use his broadest possible vision and then focus down. Um, and and it, he, I thought he was good at this in last time last year with an empty backfield, but this year they're trying to have a single back to one side a lot more than they run out of the pistol. Okay. Now, if you run out of the pistol, presumably you don't have that problem at the snap, but you have the problem after the snap when you have to sell that fake, going to one side, go into the mesh, decide to pull it or not. Or even when you have to look to one side and fake to the mesh, which is really the significant consideration here, because that was tremendously effective in creating time and space last year. Just the, those little garbage hand checks, froze linebackers, froze edge players. I mean, it did wonderful stuff. And and the Ravens have taken that out of their offense this year. And I think they're doing it in the name 
of having Lamar see the field more broadly from that from this other you know back to one side formation. I really can't come up with another good reason because I still think Lamar is the best choice to run on the edge. A, I think he's he's better and faster at making people miss. And B, I think that's where you want Lamar running because you don't want him running up the middle and taking big hits. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at that. That's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I was, um, yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense, actually. I'm, I'm just running it through my mind thinking about specific plays. It actually makes a lot of sense. Um, but I'll, I'll go back and take another look at that. Um, it's It surprised me, and I, I, I started to make that comment because, like you, even going back to last year, I thought that he did a pretty good job of, you know, making some of those full field reads. I'm not sure exactly how many times they asked him to do it, but I think when they asked him to do it, he was pretty good at it. And this year, there are just things that I'm seeing that I'm just not used to seeing. And I guess that's, that's why I'm sort of like, man, I, I wonder, you know, is it, is he really that impacted by the short and off season? Is it some of the injuries? I mean, look, it, Another thing that I've thought about, and there's no indication of this because he says he's fine and the team says he's fine. He's not on the injury report um, other than the knee, you know, where he missed a couple of practices mm-hmm. this week. But I think about the groin injury going back to camp. Right. When you see him running on some of those option keeps where he's trying to get the edge, look, I, I get the stuff about defenses playing them differently, and that shows up on tape. You see safeties flying downhill. You see, um, you know, sort of defensive scheme and towards the people really flying outside quickly, whether it's a linebacker or a DN, like just even before the ball goes into the mesh, they're going outside to try to mm-hmm. prevent them from getting outside. So I get all of that. But, you know, there have been plays, and then these stick out in my mind, these couple of plays. Think back to the Texans game and, and him being kind of one-on-one with Zach Cunningham. You cannot tell me that Lamar Jackson cannot outrun Zach Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I will not accept that. <laughs> I, just I just won't accept that. I know that Cunningham had a couple of good angles on some of those plays and Obviously, you know, Lamar's probably not as fast running laterally as he is, you know, running north and south down the field. I get all of that. But I just feel like I'm not seeing the same kind of acceleration and burst that I saw last year on some of those runs. You know, the groin injury would be a possibility to look at. I mean, when he's running straight ahead, I'm still seeing the same Lamar in in terms of, you know, he's had some runs up the middle that have been not bad for like eight, 10 yards. But he also had a 50 yard run, which the longest Mm -hmm. of his career was right up the middle. Uh, you know, it's, it makes sense what you're saying. Um, I, I think I, what I come back to is I, I'm going to put the onus back on Rome. Whatever the situation is with your quarterback, you need to come up with a plan that is a counter move, the appropriate countermeasure to Lamar being put in a position where there's chess piece one and chess piece two are moving to the right side to defend that edge against him. And, and you know, there's got to be some trick you can do with a receiver, short crossing route, whatever it might be, get the ball out of his hands. You know, the kind of toss play that, that you know, goes the other direction that they ran to Duvernay. Let's see that again <laughs> and, and see if, if teams are consistently willing to, uh, you know, make this kind of commitment to the edge. But, I mean, a late reverse like that, I think, be, could be very effective. It could, it could, it's a high-risk, high-reward play. He might, Duvernay might get caught for a loss of eight on the play if it, if it happens improperly, but, but you could also run for 40 and, you know, you, you, you kind of take those chances. So Absolutely. anyway, all right. So I thought two other things about Lamar. One is his, his uh, completion percentage over expectation was minus 10.4 in this game. That's over 39 dropbacks, 38 passes, 37 passes, 38 passes. Oh, I think it was 38, but anyway, he should have had four more completions in this game is what that tells me. And, mm. 
it's not just the miscompletions. Those were bad, but it's the fact that there were too many interceptable balls. And I think, you, you know, if you're really an alarmist, you could probably point to about five interceptable balls in this game. I, I, I think there's certainly at least three. Yeah, he certainly put the ball in harm's way more than you're used to seeing. Obviously, we know Logan Wilson came up with one, could have possibly came up with another. I think the sort of uh, mini Hail Mary to Andrews that Jesse Bates got under, that was another one. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the other two. But 59. I, Gave, yeah. Dave, Davis Gaither had a dropped yeah. interception. Yeah, I remember those four distinctly. So. He certainly kind of put the ball in some spots um, that you you're, you're not really used to seeing him, uh, you know, put the ball in those spots because obviously he's not had a ton of interceptions in his short career. He really does a good job uh, with that. So I, that was a little strange to me too. I mean, there's just a lot of things that were kind of strange about this game when you kind of unpacked it because if you just looked at the end result, if you, let's say you didn't watch this game, you just look at mm-hmm. the score, you would assume that they were clicking on all cylinders, right? Everything was working. Right. Then if you were to look at some of the numbers, and especially if you were to look at the game, probably more in the second half than the first half, even a little bit uh, of, of the offense, you would say, well, wait a minute, what, what's going on? This, this doesn't look like the guy I'm used to seeing. So uh, could it could it be the missed practices? Could it be the knee? Could it be, um, you know, the weather? You know, it could be a, a number. Could it just be that one game? Look, guys, guys are entitled to have off games. It happens. Um, if, you, if you had just watched the defensive side of the ball, Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool Washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only without sound on your TV. And all, all you got to do was watch maybe the condensed version or whatever it would be. Knowing who the 2020 Ravens are, who I expect them to be, let's put it that way in, in week five, because that's, I think, where we are still. I would have thought they'd win that game about 40 to nothing. You know, two more touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they scored once on defense. They had another good short field on defense. They just beat the crap out of Burrow for the entire game. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that would be you know, the fact that Burrow had given up and, had, and, and was satisfied with an eight-minute field goal drive at the end of the game uh, should have told you enough about how big the score was. You know, so I, I just, I don't know. I'd, I'd have assumed it was a enormous route from just watching this defense because the Ravens historically have put teams away like nobody else can put teams away when they put out a defensive effort like that. Yeah, and, and, and some of those opportunities were there. I mean, um, that throw to Hollywood, in the end zone. I don't remember it because it was like the ball was on like the top of the eye in Baltimore (laughs) and he kind of was sliding to kind of have to try to make that catch. And I don't know if it was just a clean drop or if the cornerback, you know, got a, got a hand in there. It was a little bit of a pass defense. I don't remember. Um, But that was an opportunity and there were a couple of opportunities there. So it certainly could have gone that way uh, on offense. And I guess people who want to look at the, you know, the glass half empty of this offense throughout the season, that's what they would point to and say, Hey, it's, it just hasn't quite clicked. Right. Because it hasn't that been kind of the story in, in, in many of these games, aside from the Cleveland game, um, where it just hasn't quite clicked. So, I mean, that it's fair. I mean, you, if Bill Parcells said, right, your record, you are what your record says you are. And they're four and one. But, you know, there certainly are things that you could point to. You say, yeah, but there's more there. There was more there. There's more meat on the bone. Right. <laughs> yeah. Top team in the entire NFL in terms of DeVoe right now. Now, they're not at the top in in offense. They're 
17th or something, but they're still positive. Mm-hmm. On defense, they're the best team in the NFL and, and by a fairly wide margin. And then on special teams, they're astronomically the best team in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to find a lot of problems with this team. You have to look at the offense, which is still pretty good, and, you know, really be concerned about other trait-based scouting you're going to do about it. Because <laughs> otherwise, there's, there's really not, nothing to like in terms of points per drive or nothing not to like. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get back to one point you made earlier about the goal scoring. I think that's at the heart of not making interceptable passes. Because you, you want to have as much eye on the potential other side of the window closing as you do on how much do I have to beat this defender by where I'm leading the receiver. And it's very important to have both of those. And, and Lamar had been so good with that about finding the empty part of the field. This just game is just incredibly unusual and disturbing. But now if I, if I take it for a moment, if I think back to the Flacco era and all the times the, the Bengals you know, tried the four-man pass rush, seven-man drops, and they didn't do all that in this game. We'll get to that a little bit later. It was really uh, – uh, that created all kinds of problems for all, you know, a lot of his worst games were against Cincinnati under just those circumstances. Yeah, what was the what was the narrative there? The cover two, he couldn't beat the cover two. He couldn't he couldn't avoid throwing interceptions against the cover two. So no, it's like so many things, right? We've been this has kind of been running throughout this, this this whole conversation. The more you can put it in perspective, the more it sort of levels you out. You're like, well, maybe I really. In, in, in reading more into sort of a panicky mentality than really is what's there. We'll see. We'll see. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel like sky's falling by any stretch of the imagination. All right. I, I want to talk some scheme things with you before we get too deep into everything else. I want to still have time for mailbag and players and stuff, but I did want to talk about one scheme thing in particular is the scripted plays. Mm-hmm. I'm loving some of it. The Duvernay run. Terrific. The, uh, the the pass to Ricard to open the game. So they opened with two plays that obviously Lamar is never gonna 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 have that come up. I don't think normally in the game. I guess they can always save a scripted play and and, and do it later. But but it's it's they had to practice that with dance steps during the Friday walkthrough in order to have those two plays in the in the book. And it was just it was I love throwing that out there. I love showing it to the other team. I love forcing them to, to defend the rest of the field. And then they didn't really have to defend the rest of the field because the Ravens didn't show that kind of creativity once they got the non-scripted plays. Yeah. The Duvernay play was just a beautiful call. And I noted that in my run game charting because everything about it from the formation to the pre-snap motion looked like a power run concept that mm-hmm. they run all the time to the right side of the field. And Everybody is flowing that way. I mean, everybody on defense is flowing that way. Obviously, that's that's how you get a big run like that. The Ricard play is interesting because they've run that at least twice that I remember. Now, not necessarily with Ricard as the guy running to the flat. They ran in the Texans game, and it was Boykin. Um, excuse me, excuse me. It was um, it was Boyle running to the flat, and I'm thinking Boykin because Lamar actually hit Boykin. He kind of runs a little short curl, sort of right in between the numbers and the hashes where uh, Boyle is actually going out to the flat. Same concept. Um, and I think they, they ran it against the Washington football team too. But um, again, I think he hit um, that receiver on kind of what I call a little snag route. It was basically a little, a short, a little mini curl. So um, they've used that and 
And really, it looks similar. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. But when you see that play fake and the fullback or the H-back position kind of sneaks out to the flat and the running back, after taking the play fake, cuts the defensive end, they've been running that going back to right. morning. I mean, maybe, maybe even before. That's Oh, Vonta Leach. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's been, that, And that's in the NFL. I mean, that that's a classic. Uh, you hear it all the time, right? It's not, so John Gruden, right, would always talk about spider two wide banana. We don't have they don't run the Y banana part of that play, but the spider part, that's a blocking concept, right? And that's what it is. It's that running back cutting the unblock um defensive end. Now there's some other things that go into what make it what, what makes it a spider in terms of O-line blocking, but that concept has been around the West Coast forever. Um so that that's a cool play. And they're doing some cool things for uh for Dobbins too. It they don't always hit, but obviously you saw the long run off of that kind of QB counter. They've been running that every game too. Sometimes Lamar keeps it. And I could be wrong about this. Somebody can fact check me. But the only other time I can remember them handing the ball to the running back on that play was Ty Montgomery uh, against the Raiders in 2018. (laughs) Uh, Most of the time, Lamar keeps that ball. And it's a unique concept because most people would say, well, that's just quarterback counter. Well, I've heard coaches call that counter bash. Right. The B and the A and bash stand for back away, because if you watch that play, the counter pullers from the left side, they're pulling to the right side. The back is going to the left. He's going away the opposite direction of the pullers. Right. So that's what makes it a little bit different than your standard QB counter play. Um, That's the only other time I can remember them actually handing the the ball to the running back. And they had a pass play set up to Dobbins' last point I I will make um, on a corner route where they sent Boykin and Hollywood deep right it was kind of a twin set to the left side of the field and they were basically running clear routes like all the way down the field and they kind of motioned Dobbins over to the right there and he was running a corner route but the um the the DB there picked him up so they're looking for ways to your point to get some of these young playmakers the ball all right all right well uh what else do I want to talk about besides scripted plays I the the problem Boykin, they've, you know, not this week, but in past weeks, they had scripted plays to him that worked out. Boykin was just 0 for 2 on targets in this game, as I recall. Sneed, Dobbins, Andrews, and Brown seem to get the vast majority of the non scripted targets. And to me, that's a pr- an ongoing problem. I know that nobody thinks that's a new thing, that they're not looking for Boykin, you know, that, that, that you know, they're not trying to find Boykin as a receiver. He's too valuable not to have on the field because he's such a good blocker. But boy, I mean, he's he's not a bad receiver. He, they, they need to just get him the football, see what he can do after the catch, earn some trust with Lamar. Maybe they need to do it in a scripted manner and get more Boykin throws in there. Have five ready to go. And that's, that's slightly overdoing it. But have three ready to go. They're all among your scripted plays that you practice in the five Friday walkthrough. You already know exactly how Brown and, and Andrews run their routes. It's not like they haven't run the same routes all five times each, every one of them since, since Lamar has been here. You don't need more, you know, practice time with that. You need, you need to figure out how to get Boykin involved in the offense and you need to be able to call it at any time during the game, not just during the first 15 plays. And I, whenever he has these kinds of games, I always like to joke that um, Lamar is playing somebody in fantasy football and they're starting. <laughs> so he's, he's got to find a way to keep that score down. Um, but they 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 have these plays for him. Uh, we talked about the slant. Um, that's in there in every game. There's usually some kind of slant flat combination with him and another player. That's in there in every How game. How about a sluggo to go with that? 
Everybody knows about the slant. Okay, yeah. that's how, how much trust is that going to build? Get, throw in a sluggo and let's see what he can really do. Yeah, I mean, well, we saw that one play, right? It wasn't a sluggo, but the kind of miscommunication uh, there between him and Lamar. Lamar thought he was going to go deep, and he kind of broke it off a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's been a weird thing why that connection just hasn't materialized um, between those two guys. I mean, you can go back to that Miami game, right? And the kind of broken play touchdown where Lamar's fading back, fading back, fading back. And then he throws it to a spot and Boykin's there. And you're thinking, man, these guys have something. There's a yes. chemistry there. Exactly you, right. You just haven't seen it. Yes. Haven't all, seen it. Uh, it's, it's an off script play. And it, I mean, the other one was very scripted. And we've talked about this one a lot of times that, that uh, Cleveland touchdown mm-hmm. that where, where it was kind of a, kind of a late rub. Mm-hmm. And then he turned for the football football was there. I mean, at least from that, even if it's scripted, doesn't he have some trust in the fact that Boykin ran exactly the right route, turned at the right time, caught the ball as he was supposed to? I just uh, enough said. We've we've <laughs> beaten on this horse. Let's let's talk about any other skill position players you'd like to hit on in this game, and and just name one, make your points. I'll kind of respond, and then name another. Well, I guess I'll talk about Andrews. I wanted to talk about somebody maybe who was a little less obvious, but I already talked about Duvernay and Dobbins a little bit. Um, uh, no, you know what? No, scratch that. I'll do Mark Ingram. That's what I'll do. I'll do Mark Ingram. Um, because, look, I, I understand there's this desire to get J.K. Dobbins the ball, right? And 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 even I would say he needs to have more than one carry that he had in, in, in this game. Obviously, he had some, some, pass, some passing game um, involvement. But don't forget about Mark Ingram. Right. Let's, why, why are we trying to run this guy to the bench? Because to me, I understand he doesn't have the explosiveness and J.K. can take one to the house. And that's absolutely important. But I think what you could see in some of those carries, and I guess people could argue that maybe there wasn't enough of them. We've been hearing that, too. But whether it was the second quarter or the third quarter, there were a couple sequences in there where like three runs in a row. Right. All the angle. couple powers, couple outside zones. And I think, was it the third quarter where he ripped off like a 14-yarder and then a 20-yarder? Mm-hmm. And you could just see, like, look, this guy, he needs volume, right, to get into a rhythm. He's that kind of guy where he's not the guy who can just come in off the bench. I, I shouldn't say he's not. I think he he's the kind of running back who's better with more volume. And to me, look, Lamar obviously is amazing, but I always looked at Ingram last year as the engine of this offense. He's a tone setter, right? Those runs – He's running through people. He's running over people. And that just grinds on you over time. Now, I admit, I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to that. I love that stuff. I'd be perfectly happy if they ran the ball 30, 35 times a game and punt and play defense. I'd absolutely love it. I'd have no problem with it. But I'm rare that way, right? That's that's an old kind of mindset. That's not the way football Hey, I, I grew up with the 2000 Ravens, and, and that was just a fine way to play football. So, so. I, I thought he got a little bit of that back in this game, even though the 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 bottom, you know, the finishing, you know, numbers weren't, you know, anything they were going to blow you away. But just that intent to get him the ball, a couple consecutive plays, just get, just get me some more of that, right? That doesn't mean that I have anything against J.K. Dobbins. I've, I've already been accused of that. <laughs> I don't. I like the guy. But, you know, I just don't feel this rush to, like, you know, have him take over the starting job so soon. I think they say this about good lawyers, and I know they say this about good actuaries as well. You should be able to make an argument for either side, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make the best possible lead back argument I can because I hear it. It just sounds silly to me that the Ravens need a lead back. If you're going to play multiple personnel groups, you want to tire the other team out that way, you're kind of committing to a change of personnel by down, mm-hmm. not by series. 
and the option to get fresh legs on the field as opposed to running a no huddle where you keep the same 11 on the field, which, by the way, I'd be okay with too if I thought it really played to Jackson's strengths exactly. But I think the, the personnel groups and the way the Ravens are schemed up to play f- offensive football, I think they're better off with the multiple personnel groups. But I'll make my case for the single back is this, that last year when Ingram was the single back, and I think to a lesser degree this is also true of Edwards now, is that both of them handle the mesh point very well and you could run more out of the pistol if it was just the two of them. Dobbins, I know, ran a lot of mesh point type stuff, read option in college. I don't know if they're actually running out of the pistol and I don't know exactly what his without training camp, you know, familiarity is with Lamar in terms of exactly what he expects in terms of the ball coming out late, early, whatever. Um, but I do, t- I do know this when they run the front side mesh, when it's, when the mesh is right in front of the quarterback in terms of the handoff and it might be pulled out and it might not be, that mesh is not lasting as long as what I see in the pistol uh, movement that just it creates more time for more things to happen uh, that are generally good for the offense to have that. So I see that as really the 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 question about a lead back or not. If you want more pistol, you could have more. You and Ingram was the source of it, or maybe Ingram and Edwards together. I'd be all for that. I think because I think the general impetus effect on the offense would be greater. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. You're not. You you don't have to sell me on that, but. Um, you know, look, Dobbins is super talented. Obviously, he's very explosive. We see these big plays that he seems to hit, you know, at least one in every game. So maybe it is just a matter of of when and not if. But I don't know. I, I, I'm just being sentimental at this point about Ingram. But I just love his running style. He's just a punishing guy. Um, he seeks out contact. And he's, he's looking to wear guys down over the course of the game. And I, I love that. Him and Edwards. Edwards, they, they both sort of fit that same category. Um, I think Mark probably a little shiftier, you know, just in terms of, of being able to make cuts and his vision might be a little bit, uh, he maybe he's a little quicker to see things sometimes, but they both are kind of similar in that way of just being punishing guys that are just going to wear you down. I don't care what people say. I know there's this whole argument last year with, uh, you know, analytics Twitter, as they call it, that you can't quantify body blows. Okay, well, you can quantify them or not. It's real. Okay. If you've ever played a professional sport, especially if you've played, uh, not professional, if you've ever played any sport, especially if you played football, even like backyard football, if you're getting hit repeatedly and having to pick yourself up off the ground, it takes a toll. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 there's got to be, there's obviously got to be ways to measure that. And, and once they get more sophisticated body uh, sensors that they're all wearing, maybe to prote- in the name of protecting the players, they could get a lot more information of this type. Uh, Dobbins' the last four games, nine carries. 104 yards. That's the reason people want to see J.K. Dobbins. Can't argue with that. Uh, it's it's you know, I, it's it's fairly natural to get frustrated. You know, this may be before your time. I think it probably is based on on your much lower, uh, more recent date on your driver's license. But in the 1980s, Ricky Irvins would come in to spell uh, to spell Biner at mm-hmm. halftime, yeah. and it, it was a very potent thing. But they'd each play a half. It was just a, it was kind of a weird situation that they wanted to have. I don't remember, honestly, and, and probably wasn't sophisticated enough as a fan at the time uh, to know if Washington was really running a lot of no huddle at that point. I had a, a, I had a fan, uh, a family of Washington fans. So I'm, I'm very familiar with Ricky Irvin's, the posse. <laughs> they were big time Washington fans back then. I was, I was the one black sheep who was not a Washington fan. So. All right. So you would have been about nine when they won the Super Bowl in 87, right? 
I was born in 75. So oh, okay. A little bit older than that, right? Well, so old enough to be watching football. Mm-hmm. I remember. Anyway. I remember it well. Mark Rippon. Yeah. Doug Williams, even. Yeah, Doug Williams is the one I'm really thinking of in terms of the, the that in the year. It's actually maybe a year or two before then. The Timmy Smith game. Also. That's the Timmy Smith game. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, MVPs for the game. Let's let's get to that. We'll do the mailbag and then we'll get out of here. Uh, MVPs. Want to go three, two, one with me? Sure. Okay. You're number three guy. Who is it? I was just selling this guy and you made an excellent point about J.K. Dobbins. So now I feel bad about it. Um, I don't know that I can do it anymore. I'm going to stick with Mark Ingram. I'm still going to stick with Mark Ingram. I was going to sway from that, but I'll stick with Mark Ingram. Okay. Mark um, Ingram's my number three guy also. And and okay. for a lot, I think for a lot of the reasons we just talked about that he came in the game and honestly, it was an opportunity for the Ravens to reestablish the run at that point. They didn't do it, but it was, it was an opportunity to do it. <laughs> true. Very true. You're number two guy. Oh, let's write him up again. Um, you could probably put two in one in whatever order you want. Um, I'm going to say Andrews. I'll say my number one guy for, for the number one spot. I'll go with Mark Andrews. Um, quiet for a couple of games, right? And then we see, uh, well, not now, before the Washington game, obviously he had a couple touchdowns in the Washington game, but he's the last two games we've seen him uh, kind of reestablish that connection after being quiet. And I guess it was the Texans game and the Kansas City game. And, you know, there's that narrative out there right now that Lamar is is force feeding the ball to Andrews and to Hollywood Brown. He's over targeting them. Um, it might not even be a narrative. Maybe I shouldn't even call it that. But I guess when I look around the league and I look at target share, target percentage, whatever you want to call it, you know, among, you know, skill positions, particularly like pass catchers. I don't know that they're that out of whack with other teams. I mean, I guess, you know, the way I thought about it is like, go look at any good passing game and you can go back, right? Whether it was Peyton Manning with Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne or Tom Brady with Russ Welker. I mean, you're going to target certain guys more than other because, you know, these are the guys you trust. And typically they're, they're better and they're open. So, I, I mean, I don't ever remember anybody saying Peyton Manning was force feeding the ball to Marvin Harrison or Reggie Wayne or Tom Brady was force feeding the ball to Wes Welker or Randy Balls. These guys were better. They were good players, and they got open more than the other guys. So, I, look, I'm all for spreading the ball around. I think it makes you harder to defend, obviously. But I don't know that I buy this 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 angle that you know he's he's over targeting these guys. I yeah, it's just me. Yeah, it's it's I'm just looking around the league a little bit to look at target shares by players. If I look at Cincinnati, because I think they're a you know divisional rival, certainly Tyler Boyd forty. Uh, Mixon, 23, Higgins, 30, A.J. Green, 34, totally undeserved targets, Sample, 18, Bernard, 17, Thomas, 11, uh, Azuma, 11. He's been hurt for a few games, so he, he would he presumably have more than that. That's a much more balanced set, obviously, with a quarterback who's thrown the ball a lot more uh, in general. Uh, but if, I think I would have to say that the Ravens are fairly peaked in terms of, you know, obviously in this game, having 19 targets going to two guys, but even for the whole season that, that those two guys are getting a substantial portion of the targets. And honestly, when I, we did target share as a show, you know, before the season, I, I said, you know, any, anything that has less than a hundred targets for both of those guys is probably wrong. And when you've got a hundred going to both those guys, and it's really more like 110 on average. You're already talking about like, 44% maybe of all the targets we expect for him to have for the year. If, if there's 500 passes, you know, it's it just, 
it, it's it wasn't apparent exactly how they were going to go to other other players, and it certainly didn't happen uh, so far this year. Yeah, I mean, look, one one guy was your first round pick at wide receiver, and the other guy is emerging as at least a, a top five, maybe a top three tight end in the league. Yeah. Who the hell do you want to throw the dots? Yeah, no, you just <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get yeah. it. And, and, and that's a great point. Is that is that you're throwing the ball to somebody else only to prove that you can throw the ball to somebody else, and that has value. But and it should be part of the game plan because there's players that, that can do more there. But then we should also just accept the fact that hey, this offense is still pretty good throwing the ball only to those two guys. Agreed. All right, my number two guys, Brown, uh, ten targets in this game and uh, seven point seven yards per target. He's the only guy who had a decent yards per target number for the game. Uh, just. For being the Ravens' only real deep threat, uh, it looks like he's really going to take care of himself this year in terms of avoiding hits, uh, which I really like, much more so even than Lamar does. Yeah, smart smart player in that way. Uh, obviously, he knows who he is. He sees himself in the mirror every day. <laughs> he knows what he's going up against out there. Um, you know, when you can make a play, make a play, right? But when you can protect yourself a little bit and you've gotten everything you can get out of it, uh, it's probably a good idea to do that. Okay. All right. Um, your number one guy was. He's my number one. Marquise okay. Brown's number one. Andrew's my number one guy. Let's get past this. He got his first touchdown. So of this year. So, you know, great. Congratulations. All right. Fantastic. Let's talk mailbag, Josh. All right. Let's get into the mailbag. Use the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter to get in your questions. Um, very similar uh, stuff coming in as we did with the defensive podcast, kind of figuring out what this team is. So uh, let's start with Josh's question, who is rather than nitpick, I'm just going to ask you if you have a theory on what the Ravens are looking for offensively and what their vision is for this year. I mean, I'm really interested to hear Michael's comments on this, but I'll let him formulate them and I'll start the conversation here is that I'm not sure they know exactly what they are this year. They're trying this different, less pistol, more running back rotation routine they're doing now. And I don't know what they're trying to do other than scripted plays to try and get the ball to other targets other than Andrews and Brown. Uh, They are doing some scripted plays and they've been generally very successful with those. Uh, But, but as far as like what their offensive identity is going to be, I think it's going to evolve kind of on its own. Yeah. I think every year, every team, right. I mean, you can, you can look at the Ravens historically and say they're a team that has run the ball and played great defense. And I think those elements are always kind of there mostly. I mean, you could probably pick a season here or there where maybe it was a little different. I don't think this is going to be too different than that, but each year is unique in that that team has to carve out its own identity. And so obviously they're going to run the ball. Obviously they're going to play good defense. Um, you mentioned the, the sort of work in progress that the running back rotation is. They're trying to work some new pass catchers in. Um, I haven't tracked this, but just just the eyeball test. feels like I've seen more screens to wide receivers than I've seen mm-hmm. in a while. And there hasn't been a ton of them, maybe one a game or two a it's game. A couple to DuVernay in, in particular, yeah. right? Yeah, those kind of really college-style kind of bubble screens or quick screens. Uh, makes a lot of sense when you've got guys like that with that kind of speed. And obviously they ran a ton of those. Uh, well, DuVernay did. I don't I don't think Hollywood ran a ton of screens at Oklahoma, but DuVernay ran a ton at Texas. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that they're still trying to figure out how to incorporate these new pieces and sort of these new components, but also having Lamar continue to grow and develop as a quarterback. So it's just an, it's just an evolution, 
You know, I, I don't know that they're doing any kind of major overhaul. It's just it's an evolution of, of kind of some of their core stuff. And that kind of goes to Brad's question of, do you guys think this drop back past heavy game plan this week was because the coaches knew that that's what they needed to work on as a team and using it as a live practice? I, I would hate to think that were really true. Uh, just because I don't think that's a real productive way to to do things. And maybe maybe you want to show other teams that you can pass the ball. That's another matter. But I I don't think. Yeah, but they didn't show. Yeah, they they didn't they didn't show they could do it effectively. That's for sure. Right. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, no, I I would I would hope um, that they wouldn't be treating this as some kind of preseason or kind of practice. That just doesn't that just doesn't seem like a kind of John Harbaugh. Kind of He's trying to win every game. I don't think he's out there working on stuff. And the past thing was really interesting at his press conversation. He knew you could, you knew he was going to get asked about that. He mm-hmm. knew he was going to get it because he came with notes and he was ready to refute or at least to try to refute some of those things where he said, Hey, of those 37 passes, 11 of them were in two minutes. Of course, you're going to pass the ball in two minute situations. So if you take those out, what do you have? Like 26 passes to what was it? 23 runs, something like that. He's like, that doesn't look that out of balance to me. So he was ready, right? He knew that they were going to come at him. For that, because right after the game, he couldn't answer it, right? I think he said something like, you know, I'd have to go back and look at that. I'm not. I'm, he he kicked the can down the road immediately after yeah. the game. And he said, we're, we're going to talk about that later. We're going to look at the film and then I'll, I might have something to say about that later in the week. I'm when you look at the overall numbers, I don't, I haven't checked them since this game, but going into the Cincinnati game, mm-hmm. I want to say they were seventh in rushing attempts and they were 31st in pass attempts. So it felt like they were throwing a lot. That's, that's the Ravens right that's there. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 30, 37 to 24 passes to runs, that only seems extreme because that's basically 60% passes. And, and maybe it's 38, including a sack. So slightly over 60% passes. Go back and look at some game books from the Flacco era, <laughs> and in particular the late Flacco era, and see if you don't see more extreme numbers than that. Yeah. Well, shouldn't the attack have been more on – why won't we run in the ball with three running backs where the running the yards per carry is higher than last year and with a game that Lamar only ran two times? That should have been the approach, not why are you passing so much? Yeah, legit legitimate question. And and I'm I would have been all for more runs in this game. I thought they, they had some opportunities, particularly when Ingram was running the ball effectively to stick with the run for longer and they didn't really do it. Uh but you know my difference, you know, if if they'd have gotten four extra runs in this game, I'm going to say no problem at all. It's it's 34-28 kind of thing. Um, if they got six more runs, I'd be absolutely thrilled in terms of the balance that the that the offense would have had. Uh, it's really just because the passes, so many of the passes were interceptable, is why we're so pissed off about this pass run rate. I think. Yeah, and and for me, the runs. Like you said, the overall number, I'm not that bothered by that. I mean, I guess you could add a few more and I would have been fine with that. But for me, it's more about when they don't call runs. Like you'll go into some of these drives right after they get the ball back, a defensive stop or something like that. And there's three consecutive passes. Okay. Can, can, can we get one? Can we, can we get one run? And I understand quick, sudden change situation. You want to take a shot, catch the defense off guard. I get all of that. But that's kind of my issue with it is not the overall number of called runs, but just when you're not calling them uh, is is where I might have a little bit of a nit to pick. But other than that, I, I'm not, this pass heavy thing has bewildered me. Cause I'm like, look, if you just look at the overall numbers, they're near the bottom of, they're in the bottom third of the league. That's a tip. So I don't, where, where's this coming from? You could, there, there are reasons why it's better to not take your shots on first down if you're the Ravens. And, and the, the starting one is this, 
if the Ravens gain three yards on first down, their series success rate is higher than the rest of the NFL in 2019. Okay, now we're not in 2019 anymore. They're not running the pistol. I get it. You know, it's, it's everything's a little different. But you know, three yards on first down for for the Ravens' offense is hardly a big loss by like a football outsider's kind of metric. In fact, their offense was just as good after they gained three yards on first down. Great piece out there still on the site video with Dean, uh, sorry, Dan Reese. I want to say Dean Pease, uh, <laughs> going through these various uh, metrics, but it's still out there and it's on series success rate. All right. I'm going to combine a couple questions asking about uh, personnel changes from last year to this year. And it's how much has losing Yanda affected Lamar in the pocket and how much has losing Hayden Hurst as an extra tight end blocker back there hurt as well. How about you take one? I take one. All right. I'm going to, I'll, I'll let you have Yanda. I'll take, (laughs) I'll I'll take, I'm going to respect my elders and I'm going to let you, (laughs) let you have Yanda. Um, Aiden Hurst. It's interesting. I think I saw that question. So I thought about it a little bit before the show. Um, I don't know. This is going to sound like I'm talking, you know, I'm kicking dirt on the guy after he's out of town. I don't know how great of a blocker Aiden Hurst was. I think it was situational, right? Certainly not a point of attack guy like Nick. Either is Mark Andrews. Um, but when you can, you know, sort of get them in those arc releases and get them on safeties, maybe a linebacker, maybe, but more so sort of safeties, you know, uh, contain defenders, uh, guys running the alley. I think they were good at that, right? Kind of on the move, in space kind of blockers. So, you know, have they really lost that ability? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I think Andrews is probably doing a little bit more of that than, than he's probably done in the past. Um, you know, obviously Boyle still does it yeah, maybe to that extent, I think there could be something there, but I don't know that it's enough that you can, you know, if you want to make the case that the offense is struggling, if you want to do that, I don't know that that's really the reason that I would, I don't know. That's a reason that I would point to, to try to make that case. Okay. So I'll, I'll take the other side real quickly, but I, I agree with your, your comments entirely about being not that great a blocker at the point of attack, but he was a great level two, level three blocker. Completely agree with basically the way you set that up. And his three back, the three back set that they used a lot with Hurst in the backfield in particular was kind of a secret sauce, special potion for the Ravens last year that, that created a lot of plays, play action releases for tight ends, great runs coming off that. And, and I thought a lot of that was Hurst blocking level two, level three to make some extend some runs terrifically. Well, the other thing I think they really do miss Hurst is Hurst was a pair of hands that Lamar trusted. Oh, yeah, no question. And he didn't throw that much to him. I mean, what was it, like 39 times last year or whatever it was? But he threw to him, and and that was another guy to get first downs to that he knew he was he was sure-handed and, and had, I believe, the highest catch rate of the tight ends. Best hands on the team, in my opinion. I know we talked about it um, last year when he was around. I, I think of any position, not just tight end, uh, mm-hmm. even wide receiver. Best hands on the team, in my opinion. All right, so the other, Our, other one was Yanda. We'll, we'll go real quick here. Right guard's been the weakness for the Ravens so far this year. They didn't fix it with McCarry and Powers in this game in terms of how they performed. They obviously didn't get it done uh, in the first several games with Phillips, who had one good game but three bad games, or three, one mediocre, two bad. Uh, they've got to figure that position out somehow. Hopefully, after the bye, Phillips comes back and he looks at another level. Um, and all of these guys had to go through learning curves and I think they, they can, they've got by some of the penalties probably already. We're going to see going forward if they can, if they can actually play football. 
All right. And then uh, this weekend, 2018-2017, Raven fans got their wish to see uh, Le'Veon Bell line up behind Joe Flacco. <laughs> and now Bell is a released. And there's also talk that the Bengals and A.J. Green are not getting along. Or either of these guys fits in Baltimore. I'm going to say A.J. Green, no way in hell. I wouldn't want him for nothing. I, sorry, I wouldn't want him at his current contract with no compensation given up to acquire him, which it seems like pretty soon there that exactly may be the uh, – no. Well, I, I, think that, I think the Bengals would trade him for nothing if somebody take his whole contract. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I mean, look, if he if he gets well, – I think that, that story just broke tonight. If he gets the Lev Bell treatment where they straight up release him uh, – <laughs> Then maybe you you know you take a look at that and and, and see if there's something there. Um, but you know if there's got to be some kind of trade compensation. Um, you know, look short of a a Kari Bedvik situation. Um, I, I don't I don't know that I'd be open to that. And I think it's it's that AJ there. You know, this happens all the time with you know high profile players or guys who've been high profile players when they get released or they look like there's an opportunity to maybe make a trade for them. We think about them at their best, right? Yeah. We think about them at their peak. And, and that's the guy that we want, obviously. If we were getting those guys, yeah, sign me up. Let's go get those guys. Mm-hmm. But we're not getting those guys. It's not who they are at this at this uh, you know point in time. And then to Ken's point, you know, the compensation um, is not going to be reflective of that. Probably the compensation is probably going to be a little bit more towards what they were than what they are. And that that's you know that's problematic. I th- I think the Bengals will find out very quickly. There's no market for him. They they don't want him on the team anymore. Josh, you made a real good point. You don't want to have that guy with your rookie quarterback. It's poison. Well, I think that's what the Bengals are going to get to. Is yeah, you yeah. want you they they want him out of there because they need the, that guy to be praised and developed and not not uh, scared that he's going to constantly be yelled at by this guy. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. And I don't know how AJ Green could be unhappy with the number of targets he's gotten so far. He's got 34 targets. He probably deserved none of them. I mean, he's, he's literally had a terrible year of three and a half yards of target. That is, it's, it's almost out of the Perriman level of production in his last year in Baltimore. It's just, it's, it's off the charts bad. So I, I don't, I don't know what the Bengals think they would get for AJ Green. Yeah, we're exploring. We're taking all offers now for AJ Green. Well, there aren't going to be any offers for AJ Green unless you either eat his entire salary, which no, which the Bengals probably don't want to do, or you, you basically give him away for nothing and eat maybe three quarters of his salary. <laughs> so, is he, is he creating that kind of drama though? Is he, is that like Antonio Brown level stuff? Cause that seems really out of character for him. What did you see Josh? There, there's a video going around the internet now of, of some lip reading going on where the people are saying that he's saying, just trade me yelling at the coaches on the sideline from Sunday. <laughs> and that, you know, the, the last time I saw a guy sitting on the sideline like that on the bench, when the rest of the team is playing and not hurt, and there's no evidence that, that Green was really hurt in this thing, he just got benched. Um, and, and by the way, some sideline reporter reported a I don't know soft tissue injury or this or that, but garbage, garbage. He put absolutely zero effort into both of those interceptions. It was a disgrace, and you know I, it, it made all the sense in the world to bench him. And he sat there with that icy stare. It's not like he's trying to ice it up or he's trying to get on the bike and work it out or he's working with a trainer. Sitting there all alone with an icy stare, you know, staring right at the camera with a, you know, I, obviously, he's very upset about the situation. AJ McCarrens in the 2008 playoff game, go back to it if you have the video. He got benched against the Ravens by the Titans similarly, 
and he, he sat there on the sideline, icy stare, unidirectional look to him, and he was far away from all the action in this incredibly close, tight playoff game that the, that the Titans lost on the on the final drive. Hmm. I'd be disappointing if if that's the the way AJ is playing this. He was for a long time, you know, from the personality standpoint, kind of the anti-diva wide receiver, right? He's a guy that produced but didn't complain for the ball. At least not publicly. Who knows what was going on in the in the meeting room, or the locker room? But uh, yeah, I, I'd I'd be disappointed if that's the way things are going. But hey, you know, I mean, things things change, right? Nothing nothing stays the same. I know, and this is a year where everyone's everyone's at extremes this year, no matter what. So it's all going to come out. Uh, the Eagles. We uh, Ravens go to Philadelphia this weekend, and the Eagles announced 7,500 fans in the stadium this weekend. Well, does that make any type of impact? Probably. Uh, you know, am I really concerned about it? Not really. If you look at the stadium in the game from the game tonight, they had, you know, these pockets of people very well separated. I'm sure they make a little bit of noise. It probably sounds better than the background noise, the noise that they make, but. You know, 7,500 is 7,500. You've been, Josh, you've probably been to some Oriole games, particularly back before Camden Yards, where the, where the, 75 yeah. people, yes. Well, 7,500 anyway. I, I've been to games with 3,000, you know, way back in the day with the, with the Orioles playing early on. So, yep. Yeah. No, I, there's definitely been some ugly Oriole games, but you're right. You do hear it even with the small crowds. All right. That's your questions. You can get them in uh, using the hashtag film study mailbag. We've got some more shows coming up this week. Ken, what's coming up? Well, we're working on an Eagles guest somehow still at this point. So no one is going to hear this, but if you know someone who's an analyst for the Eagles and you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, we'd love to hear you line up this guest for us because I'm having some trouble getting uh, getting anyone to commit to it. But we'll have a by the numbers. We'll probably record that t- tomorrow and, and release that a day early if you like that content. Uh, 12 minutes, very fast-paced. We like that offensive line article probably coming out Thursday this week. All right, and go subscribe and check out the Situation Room. It's in our own feed. You got to hear it last week. We'll probably sprinkle it in a few more times this year, but go subscribe. Uh, we want to help them and want you to subscribe to their feed directly. Michael, uh, how can people follow you on Twitter, and what else are you up to? Well, before I say that, just to your know your foe um, sort of request out there, Fran Duffy, if you're listening, okay. if anybody knows Fran Duffy, come on, man. You got to make this happen, right? I mean, there are probably other other analysts out there, other people that could cover the Eagles, uh, but he's he's extremely good. So let's, let's make this happen, Fran, or friends of Fran. <laughs> but for me, um, mostly on Twitter, um, at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Uh, I mentioned that I started charting run game again. I will not be publishing an article or doing any sort of uh, front-end uh, display of that work. I'll probably tweet out some things. Uh, who knows if I'll even keep it up all all season after my hand has been smacked vigorously by by Ken. <laughs> the show. Uh, but that that's it. That's pretty much all I'm doing this year. Really was trying to take it easy and kind of kind of trying to take a backseat and just do a little you know engagement through Twitter. But there have been so right. much talk about the run game and what's going on. Why isn't it working? I was like, look, I I gotta know. I gotta I gotta know for myself. I gotta see what's going on. So. I couldn't resist and, uh, you know, so catch some of that. Some of that will probably be out on Twitter here and there. All right. And Twitter's an easier conversation for you to manage. So people should reach out to you there and, 
And all. you guys can help out the show by going over onto Apple Podcasts and rating and reviewing the show, sharing the show on uh, social media. We saw someone today shared a audio clip of the show on Twitter. I'm not quite sure how that works, but if you can do that in your podcast app, that's awesome. Share that. Yeah, it's just and, it, was, uh, it was so cool that he did that. And you yeah. know, if, if if anybody, if you if there's something that really strikes you, we might not be able to pick it out on this side. We think everything we say is kind of kind of clever, but that's obviously not true. But if you can pick out the one thing in a show that actually is, then uh, you're doing us a big favor to pull that out and uh, and tweet that. Yeah. So anything you can do to help us promote that helps us out a lot, um, especially since have you have you have noticed this season we don't have advertising right now, so we got to keep getting those numbers up so we can attract some advertising in this weird COVID, no one wants to spend money time frame. All right, guys. Well, we will talk soon. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.